We're going to uh, read God's uh, Word uh, together now. The words will come up on the screen. If you've got a, an electronic device or a Bible with you, then uh, turn with me to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Uh, we were looking at the first half of Acts 8 uh, last Sunday morning. We're going to read the whole chapter this morning. Uh, first uh, reading we'll have will be uh, the passage we read uh, last week, remember, as the, the gospel crossed over that barrier from uh, Jerusalem and Judea into Samaria. And then a little later on, uh, we will read uh, about Philip uh, encountering an Ethiopian and the gospel uh, being spread uh, to him, and we'll look at that passage together. But first of all, to read Acts chapter 8, verses 1 uh, to 25. Uh, this is God's holy and true word. And Saul approved of Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. The crowds of one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with, loud, with a loud voice came out of many who had then, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Uh, so there was much joy in that city. Uh, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria saying that he himself was somebody great. And they all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. They paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them. For they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also that anyone whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money, and have neither part nor a lot in this matter. For your heart is not right before God. Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that if possible the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. But I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing but what you have said may come upon me. 
Now, when they testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So reads uh, God's uh, word uh, to us uh, this morning. I'm going to continue to uh, read now uh, from Acts chapter 8. Acts 8, we're going to pick up where we uh, left off. Uh, Philip has encountered uh, these uh, Samaritan uh, believers as he's preached uh, the gospel uh, to them. Many have believed. And uh, now we find out what happens as Philip leaves uh, that city of Samaria. Uh, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before the shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch uh, said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water, what prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So reads uh, that portion of uh, God's word. We'll look at uh, this passage uh, now. So let's just pray. God, shall we pray for God's presence uh, with us? Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is truth amidst falsehood. We thank you that your word is light to darken, uh, to, to lighten our dark paths. Lord, we thank you that uh, your word is powerful to strengthen the weaving and the weak. And so we pray now, Heavenly Father, that you uh, would uh, meet with us in your word. Show us the Lord Jesus Christ. Enable us uh, by your spirit uh, to not merely know your word, uh, but to love it, to rejoice in the truth of your word. Hear our prayers, Lord, we ask 
for your glory and praise and honor. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you, how dependent is the spread of the gospel on freedom? How dependent is the spread of the gospel on freedom? In 1608, a group of English Christians who were considered to be illegal radicals uh, due to their desire to worship separately from, uh, distinctly from, the Church of England, who they considered to be compromised with Rome, they fled to live in religiously tolerant Holland. Working in a menial employment after several years, their lives were again thrown into upheaval after an agreement between uh, the King of England and the King of Holland that independent English church congregations in Holland should be outlawed. Hounded from England in a desire to worship God as they believed the Bible uh, showed them, on the 16th of September 1620, 100 two passengers boarded the Mayflower ship in Plymouth, England to cross the Atlantic and establish a new world, America, to be founded on uh, gospel principles. How dependent is the spread of the gospel upon freedom? Fast forward 300 years, 1949, the, co- the Communist Party defeat the, the, the governing uh, the government of China and that led in, in 1949 to the expulsion of 637 missionaries being required to, to, to leave the country in what seemed like a total disaster for the gospel and yet within four years almost 300 of those missionaries were sharing the gospel elsewhere in South Asia and uh, in Japan. While, as we know today, the church in China, under severe persecution, began to multiply and grow and grow, so that today it is far, far larger than it was when those 637 missionaries were, were thrown out of the country. I'm sure this morning you can think of other examples where there has been opposition to the gospel. And their opposition has led to the, the scattering of God's people and the scattering of God's word. Sometimes when the gospel of the Lord Jesus is rejected and opposed, when God's people and our faith is not tolerated, God scatters his gospel elsewhere. That is certainly what is happening in this book of Acts. In Acts uh, chapter 7, remember, Stephen was martyred uh, for his uh, faith and his speaking of the Lord Jesus. We read at the beginning of our uh, chapter, there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all, all the Christians, were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Simon stole for proclaiming that Jesus was greater than the Old Testament temple greater than the Old Testament law, greater than anything else that might demand our ultimate allegiance. And following that, a great persecution fell on the church, which led to the believers being scattered. And as they scattered, they preach, they share the gospel word. 
What about us in the UK? What about us today? Are we as Christians, are we celebrated in the media? Are our views as Christian, our distinctive Christian views, are they welcomed, promoted by our politicians? Are we as Christians, are we, are we squeezed to the edges of our society? Are we mocked, are we looked down upon for our beliefs? Some of you will have uh, read no doubt that on Good Friday, uh, the Labour leader, Keir Stammer, Stammer he, he visited Jesus' house, a, a congregation of the redeemed Christian Church of God. He, he visited them to, to recognise their work in supporting their community during the pandemic. And then three days uh, later, I think it was, he issued an apology for visiting the church. Visiting a church that held traditional biblical views on sexuality and gender. That's what the church uh, think about sexuality and gender other than what was in the Bible. But the message was charitable work motivated by the, the gospel of a crucified and risen saviour. Charitable work, well, that's acceptable. But sexual morality based on that same gospel of a crucified and risen saviour, well, that isn't acceptable. Little, little any real persecution in our society today for Christians, but certainly there is, isn't there, a drive to hand out the, the, the living out of, of, of our biblical faith from acceptable society. Real concern, I think, for the freedom to preach the, the whole counsel of God. But should we then be concerned for the spread of the gospel? I think it's so easy, as I thought this this week, it's easy, isn't it, for us to forget that you and I, we are here this morning, Christians in a church in Romford, because the gospel, because God's people have been scattered to the ends of the earth, often through times of opposition and persecution. In the book of Acts, we're being shown that God spreads his word, how he does that. So often God does that in a way that we wouldn't plan, that we wouldn't uh, sign up to. But I think we'll grasp better why God spreads the gospel in the way that he does as we remember certain things about the gospel itself. And that's what I want us to look at this morning from this second half of Acts chapter 8. First point I want us to see this morning is that the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus, is a humbling word. The gospel of the Lord Jesus is a humbling gospel. The gospel is a message, isn't it, that, that humbles us personally. In this chapter, uh, the, there is a, a contrast, a night and day, compare and contrast between two men that Philip uh, meets, whom he encounters. We met the first person last week, that's why we met the whole uh, chapter, Simon, the Samaritan magician. And then the other man, really the contrast to Simon. This Ethiopian eunuch. The comparison of a, a magician who amazes the crowd, who literally has them worshipping at, at his feet. Verse 10, they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God, but is called great. Comparison of Simon the magician, worshipped by the people, and this Ethiopian, this, this castrated man. 
What happens is both of these men, as they come into contact with the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Last week we saw that Simon, he had a belief, but it was a, it was a false belief, wasn't it? He puts his hope in the Lord Jesus for the wrong reasons. We read verse 18, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered the money. What does he want? He wants power, he wants influence. Well, that's this Ethiopian. He's got a real love for He's got a true belief in the Lord Jesus. Our heart here is a, is a surprising contrast. Simon, and he's interested in what looks impressive, the signs, in what amazes, in what dazzles. Ultimately, he's interested in power, isn't he? In control. Well, this unit that we read of, he reads Isaiah 53. And he's drawn to the one that the, the, the prophet is describing there. Simon is all about what looks impressive. And the Ethiopian looks upon a Christ who was told like a sheep was led to the slaughter. To a Christ who was silent, who opened on his mouth. A Christ who was humble, whose life is taken away from the earth. And yet for all of Simon's show, Simon is, is an ordinary man, isn't he? Like you and me, he's an ordinary man, but he's an ordinary man who, who is enchanted by power, by control. If only he could get, get control and power. By contrast, the eunuch is a man who is a great man. A man of significance. A, a man who does have control. Yeah, who, like a moth to a flame, is drawn to the loneliness, the weakness of this man that he reads of. Who is this man, he asks, who so humbles himself? How can I know him? As the gospel spreads in the world, it is a humbling word. The gospel takes the great and the good and introduces them to the Lord Jesus, the greatest one, the one who humbled himself even to death. He was denied justice, this man of sorrows, and he says to the great and the good, you come, you follow me. Simon is full of self, but actually he's a nobody, he's a, he's a wannabe. Imagine Simon can you on one of the uh, Saturday night um, entertainment uh, programmes, the name of which I can't think of any of them at the moment. But the Ethiopian, he really is a someone. An Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. Candace isn't a name. Uh, Candace is a, it's a title, just like Pharaoh was the king of, uh, of Egypt. So, uh, Candace, it means the queen of Ethiopia. And, and this eunuch is in charge of the queen of, of Ethiopia's finances. He's the chancellor of the exchequer. The way rulers ensured that those in their employment who were closest to them, who worked closest with them, the way they ensured that they didn't cheat or betray them, was to give them all that they could possibly want. So this man himself, he is rich. He's looking after the wealth of, of others. He's uh, one of the highest city bankers, isn't he? And he's driving, uh, we find him, uh, his uh, top-of-the-range 4 by 4 chariot on his way home from Jerusalem to Ethiopia. Maybe as we 
we, we read this story, we think, well, you know, here's a remarkable trophy uh, for the gospel. Here's somebody that it's great to be influenced by the gospel. Here's the gospel influencing the, the corridors of power. It would be great to see some of our leaders, some, some people in our government, our prime minister, affected this way by the gospel. But what is the message that the greatest and the good need to hear? It's the king of kings was led as a lamb, as a, as a sheep to be slaughtered. When great men and women hear the gospel and believe, what do they do? How impressive does it appear when great people uh, receive the gospel? They do what this Ethiopian uh, here. They humble themselves. This man, he gets down from his chariot, he gets down from his position of influence. He gets down into the water of baptism. He gets down to join the despised and rejected Lord Jesus in his death. I may be significant, I may have a significant role to play, but I have been humble. You know, it truly is amazing that when you meet or you hear someone, or someone of great wealth, great influence, whose whole mindset, whose whole uh, demeanour demonstrates that they have been humbled by the suffering servants of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the 18th century, uh, Selina, Countess of Huntington, she funded much of the work of John Wesley and George uh, Whitfield. She was born into aristocracy, but when she heard of the need of uh, the gospel, she began to sell all of her jewels, began to sell part of her estate in order to fund the church in Brighton. By the time she died, years later, at the age of 84, she funded the building of 106 chapels in the UK and abroad. She supported all kinds of, of missions to the newly developing uh, Americas and to Africa. She'd established a training college uh, for ministers in this country. And within a lifetime, she paid for the training, the accommodation, the study, the clothes, even the horses so that they could get around and preach the gospel of over 250 gospel ministers. When you hear stories about that, like that, I don't know if you're like me, it's easy to presume that examples like that, well, they're just a thing of the past. You know, I was there for so important this week when I read of a man called John Lang. John Lang, I don't know if any of you have heard of him. He's part of the, uh, the Lang family that founded Lang Construction. They built most of the M1, uh, they built a uh, uh, sizable power station amongst other things. Uh, all of which, that construction company, all of which is, is part of a far bigger enterprise, reckons it worth billions of pounds. When John Lang's parents died, he discovered that every year they'd given away £750 of their £1,000 income. £1,000 in. £750, given away. It doesn't seem like much money today, does it? But in that day, it would have been. He grew up in this generous atmosphere in a Christian home, and that generosity never left him to an extraordinary degree. When the family business when it started to flourish and the fortunes began to grow, he put policies in place 
But each year he'd give and he'd save and he'd live on a certain amount. He fixed his own uh, living costs. He was one of the first ever employers anywhere uh, to offer his staff paid holiday. Something we consider or take for granted today. The year before John Lyman uh, died, he was still helping as cook and bottle washer on a Christian camp. And when in 1978, this man who, who, who made hundreds of millions over his lifetime, when he died, his personal estate amounted to £371. Easy for us to think, his shoes, it's a tax dodge, it's a fiddle. No, he gave it all away. And all over the world, there were mission organisations, Bible colleges, gospel ministries, flourishing through John Lyman's legacy. And before this week, I never even knew. Why do that? Why live like that when, for somebody in that position, they could have lived such a more comfortable life, couldn't they? A, a, a far more star-solid life. I live like that, well, because Selena of Huntington, John Lang, they had one basic thing in common. It wasn't their wealth, but their humility. They'd been humbled by the Lord Jesus Christ. There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her wealth. You see, that's what this Ethiopian really had. In charge of all her treasure. He had all the prestige, all the money Simon the Magician could dream of. He was in charge, he was in control. A powerful man attracted to the humble message of a weak and dying, humble Lord Jesus. In my experience, often uh, people who are someone people with power, with some kind of influence. They struggle to admit that they are ignorant of things, that they're unable to do some things. What's so compelling about this man is his honesty, his humility. Philip asks, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I unless someone can to me? About whom, I, I ask you, does the prophet uh, say this about himself or about someone else? He doesn't mind admitting He's ignorant, he doesn't know. There's no flash, there's no dazzle, there's no showiness. Friends, I think at times that we can be far more like Simon, can't we? Than we'd like to admit. Maybe that's why we feel squeezed, feel affronted, feel offended uh, when someone famous, someone with power and influence uh, stands against the gospel. But why do you think worldly power will make such a difference when God has got a track record of, of, of taking hold of movers and shakers of the great and the good and plunging them all the way down the ladder to a forsaken, repulsive hill on the outskirts of a city where flesh rots in the noonday sun and where the Lord of glory hangs dying. And let me ask you this morning, do we love this humbling message of the gospel? More importantly, maybe, than that, have you, have I, have we been humbled uh, by 
this message of a crucified Saviour. We can all count all new people looking for hoping in the wrong kind of greatness. Power, prestige, money, reputation, influence to be considered a someone. Does God need those things to spread the gospel? I wonder who we crave most of the company of. Who is it we'd like to see in, in church the great and the good? Do we crave most the company of those that the world thinks are great? Or do we crave the company of those who it's impossible to be in the company of for any length of time before uh, being aware of the fact that they know that they're living for somebody far greater than themselves? I'm guessing that you, like me, whether you watch the funeral or not, you'll have seen that striking picture from Prince Philip's uh, funeral of the Queen dressed in black, mourning her beloved husband's uh, death, and she's sitting all alone. Momentarily, certainly humbled by death. It is such a striking image. I think it tells us so much about us as a society. But it is true, isn't it? The manner in which our Queen sought to conduct herself over a lifetime of service shows that, that here's, a, here's a somebody, somebody who really is somebody, who has been humbled by another death. The death of one greater than herself or her husband. The Gospel of the Lord Jesus is a humbling message. Second point, and the points get shorter as we go on, let me assure you. The Gospel of the Lord Jesus is a unique offer. The Gospel of the Lord Jesus is a unique offer. This is Ethiopian. He is a someone, isn't he, in the financial and the political world, but he is an absolute no one in the religious world. He's Chancellor of the Exchequer. He's a powerful man with invites from the great and the good coming to him all the time from left, right, and everywhere. Doors open to him that we could only dream of. And yet for this man, there is one door that remains firmly shut. That is the door to the temple, to the holy place. It's possible this man's family had been converted to Judaism. More likely, I think, that this is a God-fearing Gentile who can come to faith in the one true God. Uh, an African man, a, a, a eunuch. Uh, that is, he, he had surgery so that he could be trusted to behave sexually as one of uh, Candice's closest advisors. That same surgery excluded him from the temple. It excluded him so, so that he was beyond, outside of, beyond the bounds of God's people. Outside of those who could come to God. His trip to Jerusalem would only have reinforced to him that he wasn't a full participant in God's people. As an African, as a eunuch, part of the temple, part of the worship of God would be unaccessible to him. Yes, you were welcome. But you're only welcome with grade uh, two status. Back in the days of, of, of weddings, remember when there were uh, weddings uh, and, and large crowds? Back in the days of weddings, we've all known what it was to have an invite and to open it up, and it's uh, an invite to the wedding, evening only, yes. 
you can come. But we'd love to have you with us, but you're not going to be at the heart of things. It is, I think, significant this this Ethiopian he's leaving Jerusalem. Luke is, is telling us as he writes uh, this book that through this encounter with Philip, through this encounter with the crucified Lord Jesus, this man never ever needs to return to Jerusalem again. In the previous chapter, Stephen has died proclaiming the implication for the temple of the Lord Jesus Christ coming, the one uh, to whom the temple pointed. He's now arrived. The temple is now longer needed. So this Ethiopian, he can go on his way with the Christ who died for him, and therefore he has all, all we could need. He wants us to see that in Christ, this man now has what the temple could never give him. He has complete access to God, full inclusion into membership in God's family. The unique offer of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Whoever you are, you can come. Just after the passage, the Ethiopian uh, is reading in Scripture, it's Isaiah 53, isn't it? That famous passage. But just after that passage, Isaiah 56, this man would have read uh, these words. God says, let the foreigner who has joined himself, sorry, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold that fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. That's the unique offer of full membership, full inclusion in God's family. By definition, a, a eunuch had no, could have no sons and daughters. Uh, no uh, continuing name uh, that would carry on after his death. Uh, no offspring, no one to visit this man in, in the nursing home. And yet in Christ, we saw with those first Samaritan believers that they received the Spirit, all equally included as part of God's family. Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, male, female, no barriers to access to God. All are gone. Now, one new man in Christ. In 1994, amid the civil war in Rwanda between the Hutu and the Tutsi ethnic groups, it's estimated that within the space of a hundred days, over a million Tutsis and Hutu sympathisers were murdered by Hutu gangs in an attempt to wipe out the Tutsi people altogether. At the time, were in Rwandan universities, 60 leaders of uh, Christian work amongst the students. Uh, they were both Tutsi and Hutu uh, Christian workers, and all 60 of them lost their lives in uh, that genocide. But some of the 60 were killed specifically because they actively, fearlessly proclaimed that in Christ, there is no Hutu, there is no Tutsi. Only one new man in Christ. Isn't that amazing? 
The church is a place where, where weapons and social status and ethnic distinctions and passports and vaccine passports, they're all to be left at the door. How could that happen? How could we possibly even imagine that this offer of full inclusion uh, is ours, is to be offered to others, when your life, when the very existence of your people is on the line? How? Surely it's only if we're convinced that Jesus died to pay for all of the things that we've done to separate us from each other. All of the things we do to, to raise ourselves above or against others. All of the things that we've done to, to wreck God's family home, to wreck barriers in, in God's home. So that those barriers that we're unable to restore ourselves. Barriers that somebody has to pay the price for in order that we might be reconciled. See, that's what this unit learns here, isn't it? He reads of one like a sheep who is led to the slaughter, like a lamb before the chewers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, but his life is taken away from the earth? Friends, why would Christ go through all that willingly? Why would he set his face to the cross? Well, because he was paying for all our injustices, wasn't he? He was paying for all of my offences against you. Paying for all the times I've wronged you, all the times I've spoken falsely to you, all the times I've oppressed you. And why? He hung up on the cross. In order that all of that might be dealt with, that we might be forgiven and reconciled to God or also to each other. Two men, the Jew and the Ethiopian, and we sit side by side with an open Bible, face to face with the Christ who reconciles men to God and men to men. We need not fear the gospel. Well, just to be close, a, a few words briefly. I want us to see here that the good news about Jesus spreads in a surprising way. Yes, the gospel spreads as the church is persecuted and the, the gospel opposed. You, you've seen that. But there's something else here I want us to, to, to see in closing. If you were told next Sunday that you could uh, tune in and you could listen to a sermon uh, from uh, your minister or from an angel from heaven, which would you book your seat in order to listen to? Same old, same old, with an accent that sometimes it's hard to uh, decipher, or an angelic messenger direct from heaven itself. What we see in this passage is that you should choose listening to your minister every time, and that is a surprise. That's a surprise for ministers. But in verse 30, uh, there's a description there of the passage job. Philip ran to the Ethiopian and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? Do you understand? Let me help you. Let me show you Christ and his salvation in his word. That's the passage of all. And see how it happens here. Philip gets this, this message from this angelic, uh, this angelic being going to this desert place. Philip goes, the spirit then guides Philip to engage this uh, eunuch. Clearly, in the details of their story, God does not need Philip, does he? 
God could have just sent the, the angel to meet the Ethiopian woman. God so ordained it that the gospel should flow from the lips of men with open Bibles. God has now given us in his word all of the counsel, all of the instruction that we need to live for him, to point others to him, to speak for him. And that means, doesn't it, in closing, that although likely that are some who are set apart to study and proclaim God's word, it also means that any of us can do this. Any of us can share God's gospel word, share this, this message of, of the humble servant king with others. There will be times when all of us will need to say, How can I understand when there's someone back at but we are able, we are privileged to speak for Christ. But what we ourselves have learned of him. And maybe so do. And so may Christ's kingdom continue uh, to grow. And may he continue to build his kingdom. Whatever our freedoms.